We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by regular commentator Ross Feingold. Good evening. And by Paul Huang of the Taiwan Public Opinion Foundation. Good evening. Tonight we'll be discussing former UK Prime Minister Liz Truss jetting to Taiwan. US Defence Secretary Lloyd Austin saying Washington plans to provide significant additional security assistance to Taiwan amid complaints about delays to arms deliveries to the island. And Dwight Howard angering Chinese netizens for the use of two rather simple words. But we'll begin with the main contenders for the January 2024 presidential election now officially being known as the KMT on Wednesday formally nominated new Taipei Mayor Ho Yo-wee as its candidate. Now KMT Chairman Eric Ju announced the nomination at a meeting of the party's Central Standing Committee. And according to Ju, Ho was chosen after the party considered scientific data and the opinions of local government heads and lawmakers. Now speaking briefly to reporters following his nomination, Ho said he will unite supporters and lead the KMT to a return to power in the 2024 presidential election. Now, according to Ho, Taiwan is facing fierce challenges internationally and internal divisions that have left many things still to be done. And only when the KMT returns to power can we save the nation and save Taiwan. Now, another thing that made the news related to Ho's choice this week was an article published by the New York Times in which it described Ho as being the moderate or middle of the road candidate choice who could lead to a reduction in cross-strait tensions. So, of course, Ross, no big surprise about Mr Ho being the choice there. He was considered the most likely Nationalist Party Kuomintang candidate ever since his uh, overwhelming re-election uh, as mayor of New Taipei City last November. I mean, all the discussion was Ho is Ho is the, the the most likely candidate, the best candidate. He's the one who led in polls uh, against the other likely candidates uh, over the the months again after last November's local election. Uh, led, I mean, you know, anyone else versus anyone else, the Guomindang might have nominated. Um, the, although the polls usually show that Vice President Lai would beat any of the Guomindang candidates uh, more recently. Uh, But the big problem here, uh, which it remains to be seen whether or not it's been resolved, is even though for this extended period of time, Ho was considered the most likely candidate for the party, it took him until the middle of May to, to... confirm this and you know now looking back over the last six months it just seems preposterous it makes the party look very silly whether they had held a a actual primary the way we understand primaries to work and that could have been a, a vote of party members it could have been a poll of the public or of party members uh they could have done this three months ago uh there's really no excuse for pushing this all the way out until May. I just think it makes the party look silly. Uh, I think it shows a lack of leadership by Chairman Ju, who could have handled this in, in a more efficient uh, and, frankly, a more aggressive way. And uh, although there's still uh, seven, eight months until voting day next January, um, he, the, the candidate, who is now Mr. Ho, has, has lost a few months of campaigning time, which I, I don't think is helpful if, if you want to win. 
Well, our foundation's poll, uh, as of the latest poll that we did um, publish a few days ago, that was conducted last week, we still found uh, Ho Yo Yi to be marginally more popular than Terry Guo. Um, and that is both in a three-way race and also if you ask just general public, would you prefer Ho or Guo to be the candidate? More people say they would prefer Ho Yo Yi. And that's after months of um, intense campaigning by uh, Terry Gore. And after spending all this money into the campaign, which he knew there was not going to be a primary, it was just going to be Eric Chu and his uh, man picking whoever that they wanted. Um, but still, I think the KMT, they... Um, they they were right in saying that they look at the polling data and they said Ho is go- probably going to be the more viable candidate. Now, however, I would um, with regard to the New York Times report on on Ho, I would dispute that the idea that the Ho's stands to a China or crossway policy or, or of anything. No, the guy hasn't elaborated on anything of important. The idea that it, so this is just one of those things that when you when when you are outside observer that you try to look at Taiwan's um, personnel and event and you try to fit them into this small boxes that you have in your mind. No, this is not was this is not reality. The Ho Yo Yi, neither Ho Yo Yi nor Terry Guo have it have have a real platform or policy to China. No, the, the Terry Guo might have saved something more. But that's not his policy. That's not his platform. Um, Ho, on the other hand, the guy hasn't never hasn't even said anything. How could you say the guy is a moderate or that he's going to try to improve that relation, even though he has not made any tangible, um, not even rhetoric on well, the matter? I, I thought Gavin covered that point very well in the introduction when he said, in brief remarks after he got the nomination, because that that is how, right? It's always a, a very brief remark. Uh, I guess another good English word to describe it would be coy, C-O-Y. He's always very coy about uh, addressing any any issue, including relations with China. Uh, but but I would say any issue, you know, any public policy issue, um, and, and including up until a couple of days ago, whether or not he actually wanted to run for president. Uh, he, he was just opaque, coy, pick your favorite word. Uh, and uh, I, I think the public deserves a candidate or a president who says, pardon my language, uh, damn right I want to be president. And uh, I would even make that criticism of, of Terry Go as well, because it's really only the last few weeks that he did intense activities. And I would say, well, Mr. Go, one of the reasons why the polling that Paul just cited showed you uh, consistently behind uh, Ho Yo Yi as the favored Kuomintang candidate is you only started saying this, you know, four or five, six weeks ago. Where were you three months ago or even three years ago? You, you, going back an extended period of time, you could have said, damn right, I want to be uh, running for president uh, come 2023, and I want to be elected come pre- uh, come January 2024. Uh, and he didn't do that either. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I just I kind of don't get it. You know, what's wrong with these people? If you want to be president, you knew when election day is. 
Right? It's not a secret that there was going to be a presidential election in January 2024. It's not a secret that President Tsai is term limited and couldn't run again, so there'd be no incumbent. It was no secret that Vice President Lai would seek to become the DPP candidate. Uh, you know, we knew that, right? We could have forecasted that with some certainty a year ago or two years ago or even on election day in January 2020. So you say, you know, what's wrong with you people? Like, if you don't want it badly... You know, why should the public vote for you? So, Paul, I mean, do you think Mr. Hoyo is going to have to take lessons in insertiveness? Well, Ho's personality, his style of um, leadership has always been like that. So I don't think the man is going to change much. But remember, this is Taiwan. Taiwanese preference on politicians are um, different from many other places. So they, they it's part of these... Well, I hate to say this, but Chinese culture that the, the person that who aspire to to have to to have power that and they show humility and and and, and, and uh, that they, they didn't they didn't actually wanted the power. That's part of the tradition. So Ho is very very much reflecting that uh, style of uh, personality. That I, I think Paul's point is correct from a historical perspective, but I would challenge Paul and say that. Uh, America or former America, it was pretty clear he was running for president um, for a long time. Uh, and even more so as the end of his tenure as mayor approached uh, last year. Uh, and then in the first few months of this year, I, I, I think when asked, he would basically say, yeah, yeah, I'm running for president. So I think it was pretty clear. And, and I would say um, the same pretty much applied to Vice President Lai. I, I think uh, even if he didn't say so, but by action, um, pretty much ever since he was asked by President Tsai to be the running mate, it was always pretty pretty damn clear, <laughs> pardon, again, part of my language, that he was running for, for the nomination uh, of the DPP in this election cycle. So notwithstanding uh, the, the cultural uh, approach, described by Paul. And I'm not disagreeing with that, but I think the other two candidates really made it quite clear that they were going to seek to become candidates this year. So again, by comparison, it just makes the the whole universe of the Kuomintang, you know, how Chairman Zhu handled it, how Ho Yoi approached it, and how Terry Go approached it. I, frankly, I think it makes them look look weak, for lack of a better word. And of course, Paul, also this week, Taiwan People's Party people, well, they nominated Chairman Kerwin Zhe as their candidate. And of course, he didn't even say anything basically the day he was nominated. He said absolutely nothing, really. But apparently tomorrow he's going to have a big policy address somewhere in New Taipei. Well, this is never a secret that, that, that that's always his... Um and now that, that people perceive his intention over the last several years that he was going to run after he finished his Taipei mayor turn uh, last year. And credit to him that he actually waited until he finished his second term so that unlike Ho, that the people cannot say, well, you abandoned your post, you run for higher office. Uh, he did wait and um, he, he actually... Um, spend a lot of time a lot of um, um, planning this but um, our latest poll had him put him at 25% which is actually not not bad um, especially that, that he seemed to be on an upward train trend over the last months and two uh, we don't know if that's going to continue if if, if he if he managed to keep going 
well, he could very well take over、uh, Hou Youyi. But I think KMT is going to improve from this point onwards, just because they their support were were、uh, was divided between Hou and Guo. That's what I believe is why Hou and also Guo. Were lagging behind the ball、um, by so much, so now that they announce the candidate, that、uh, might they might improve. But on the other hand, there's there are rumors that Kerr might enlist Terry Guo to be his running mate.、Um, Guo, who holds some grudges against Eric Chu and the GMT, might as well entertain. That、uh, that idea, but、uh, if that is so, then that will be disastrous for、um, the KMT. But we we will see how it turns out. I do have trouble imagining Terry Go as somebody's number two as, as a running mate. This is somebody who's had enormous success in the business world as the boss. And I don't. I don't say that by way of criticism, right? I mean, he he built the company. He made it a, a huge success.、Um, I, I think、uh, he he could play a role helping、uh, if he wants to,、uh, but but I I think his role would just be、uh, campaigning and telling potential voters, if you like me and you thought I would have made a good president, I've now decided to to support.、Me. I think he could do that、uh, potentially successfully. Without putting himself in the position of of being a, a, a number two, and what if they would? You know, I'm just I'm just having trouble imagining、uh, Terry go. And again, I don't say this by way of criticism, but I, I just have trouble imagining him being a, a vice president. Like in many countries, the role of vice president is somewhat uh, undefined, uh, and it becomes a, a function of. The relationship with between the president and the vice president, and what responsibilities, if any, the president wants to assign to the vice president.、Uh, I, I would just tell Mr. Go if he asked me. I don't think you want to get involved in that. Yeah, you, you had your chance. I think you kind of blew it by not campaigning more more aggressively earlier.、Uh, but you could still play a kind of a kingmaker role. Um, by by, be, if you want, if you really want to get revenge on on, on Eric Jew and the Gomindog, I say, okay, go for it.、Uh, but you could do that by financially supporting and campaigning for、uh, not not just Koenja, but but the Taiwan People's Party's legislative candidates as well.、Uh, you, that, that the other side there, so someone is going to say like, well,、uh, the Taiwan People's Party could put Terry Go on its on its legislators at large list and.、Uh, He could even become the the speaker of the legislature. I, I, again, I have trouble imagining him doing that role. I, I also have trouble imagining him serving as premier as well because he'd still have to answer to the president. So, Paul, I mean, do you think if the Taiwan People's Party did pick Terry Gore, he could bring a bit of baggage with him, though, like a lot of baggage with his dealings with China and other business dealings in the past? Sure, but、um, but the TPP, the Communist Party, they have never been known. As that's、uh, the one that stick to very straight, very clean、um, set of、um, candidates. In fact, they, it's very well known that they, the TPP can、uh, other than Kerr, of course, their their candidates、um, typically came from those who were rejected by the DPP and sometimes even the KMT. So they have some of them have like a checkered. Backgrounds and、uh, but but it's, just, it's people are not surprised. People will not be 
Um, so if he brings in that baggage, I mean, for TBB, for Guernsey, it's fine, you know. <laughs> Moving on now, former British Prime Minister Liz Truss jetted into Taiwan this week to give a speech at an event organised by the government-funded Prospect Foundation. Now, speaking at that event, Truss called for the establishment of an economic NATO to counter Beijing's growing threat to freedom and democracy in the Indo-Pacific region. And according to Truss, the formation of such a group would allow democratic allies to come to agreements on the best approach towards China and ensure that Taiwan has the means to defend itself. And she also went on to say that an economic NATO can serve as an alternative to the World Trade Organization as well as the United Nations Security Council, which she said has become an unreliable body as it was recently chaired by Russia. So, Ross, were you glued to your television set awaiting Truss's comments or were you busy making a salad, maybe? Uh, yeah, 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 there's the lettuce comparisons, uh, you know, because uh, British media last year uh, did, did a race between how long her tenure would last and a head of lettuce, which was live streamed and uh, attracted an enormous amount of attention. In case anyone's wondering about the, the lettuce trust comparison, that's where it comes from. No, no. to answer your question, no, nobody really cared. And uh, uh, well, other than the Taiwan government, which seemed to think it was a good idea to uh, bring her here. And uh, I look forward to her speaking fee being revealed because I doubt she did it for free. Um, but uh, her idea, economic NATO, that's not new. Uh, people have proposed some things like this, whether for trade or for health, you know, alternatives to the World Health Organization, for example, alternatives to the UN, alternatives to the WTO. These are not new ideas. Uh, Mitt Romney, who's currently a, a United States senator from Utah, when he was running for uh, the Republican nomination for the 2012 uh, U.S. presidential election uh, in during the course of that campaign season in 2011, he proposed something called the Reagan Economic Zone, and he specifically said this was to counter China and, and to bring together like-minded countries, et cetera, et cetera. But obviously, this has never happened. Uh, even the, the UK's Minister of State for Trade was in Hong Kong last week. Uh, trying to improve trade ties between the UK and Hong Kong, and by extension, frankly, China. Uh, so uh, she's she's just trying to stay relevant after her, frankly, short and disastrous tenure as prime minister last year. And she's reinvented herself as as a China critic, saying stuff about China that she didn't really say when she was a minister or or the prime minister previously. She's trying to find a new niche uh, as as the the China critic, the Taiwan supporter, and the Taiwan government buys into this. So they give a whole bunch of taxpayer money for her to come here. Um, and uh, the timing was terrible because uh, there's domestic politics stuff going on. You know, her speech was the same day as the Kuomintang finally making up its mind on a presidential candidate. So domestic attention here in Taiwan was on that. And for global news, uh, you, know, you could pick the number of things that were going on simultaneously over the past week. But even in this part of the world, the focus is on the G7 meeting in Japan, right? It's taking place in this part of the world. The G7 leaders and other uh, significant partners that have been invited are all flying into Japan uh, as we speak. And uh, that includes the UK prime minister. So, of course, the world cares more about the UK current prime minister going to Japan than they do about the former prime minister going to Taipei. Well, first, that's, 
I will very much dispute the characterization that、um, her status as a former prime minister. Well, why? Because her reputation, her is internationally is in domestically within UK is is totally trash. This, I'm sorry to say that the the, the person doesn't.、Uh, they are former prime ministers, and they are former prime ministers. And she's not among the people that I would say that would be respected as such,、um, domestically within UK or internationally in normal places, normal countries. But of course, Taiwan is not a normal country. That、um, I, I I I still think that I would say is the Taiwan government, the Thai government, they pay her to come here. It's actually consistent with what Taiwan. Taiwan's tradition, Taiwan's way of doing things, just because the the, the people, I I do think more,、um, still the majority of people would love to see someone, someone like her, right? Even knowing her reputation, even knowing her、um, problematic、um, reputation. Elsewhere, they they would still love her to come here. That because that that's the general sentiment that I detected. That, that people saying, well, she was a prime, former prime minister, and she and she she seemed like a nice person. So why not? That、um, it doesn't matter if we pay pay her money.、Um, one thing that I remember was Taiwan actually is Taiwan actually wasn't her first overseas trip after、uh, leaving office. It was Japan. I believe it was some Japan institute or、uh, university that invited her right after, just days after she was forced to resign.、Um, and 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 back then I look at the news and I was I and I was sort of like、um, feeling a bit funny as well. That why why would a Japan institution that that, that so quickly invited her to pay for her, of course. Um, but of course, in, in this case of Taiwan, it's the government that's paying for footing the bill. I would say so that、um, even if the KMT were in power, I think they would probably have done the same thing.、Um, yeah, just that, just that, because it's a Taiwan, it's a Ta- it's a proud Taiwan tradition. Yeah, it's to, desperation, right? Just to be in the international news and to get some important former. Formerly important person to come here,、uh, and then the other aspect, which is a, a repeated habit of Taiwan governments, no matter who's who's in power, but、uh, the Tsai administration has done this multiple times. And I know you're listening over there at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and you're not going to like me for saying this, but this is your habit. What you do is you invite someone who's a former something, who's on the outs with the people who are currently in power. So even though Liz Truss is. From the same political party as the current prime minister Rishi Sunak, she, she's on the outs with him, right? It's not like they're buddies, right? So, what do you what do you think people around Prime Minister Sunak are going to think? Like, you know, they're going to oh God, what Taiwan? Or, you know, they want us to do more to support Taiwan, but you invite you invite Lish Truss, you know, they're going to think like, what's wrong with you? And, and、uh, the Taiwan government invited uh, uh, former Canadian Prime Minister Harper here, very conservative, and.、Uh, You know, 
when the Trudeau government's in power. So what do you, what did the Trudeau government think of that? Right. Same thing. Uh, uh, labor's in power in Australia and you invite uh, uh, former prime minister, uh, I believe Abbott uh, came here. Uh, you know, you know they said the same thing with several Asian governments as well, like, like you know, the military junta is in power in Thailand, and you invite like the former deputy prime minister from the previous government, stuff like that. It's like, why do you keep doing that? <laughs> Maybe they're cheap. Uh, well, I mean, cheaper than, say, Barack Obama or, or Bill Clinton, whose speaking fee is going to be many hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, fair point. They're they're cheaper, but you, know, you get like an hour of news coverage, but you probably um, antagonize a bit uh, the, the current governments of those countries. And like it or not, that's who you need to befriend. You have to befriend who's ever in power in, in, in different countries. You don't do it by, by inviting people who are on the outs with those governments. Well, I'm pretty sure she was cheaper comparing to... Mike Pompeo, and so they probably they probably pay her in pounds, so and, and that's, that's a great uh, example. Uh, thank you, thank that's, you. For, uh, heavily devaluated. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Right? Uh, I mean, what, what is the Biden administration going to think when you invite Pompeo here? Right? You know, it's, they're not going to be like, "Whoa, great, great, we're so glad to see that." What more can we do for you, Taiwan? Anyway, we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. And welcome back to Taiwan This Week and U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin this week announced that Washington will soon send additional security assistance to Taiwan. Now, according to Austin, the U.S. plans to provide significant additional security assistance to the island through the Presidential Drawdown Authority that Congress authorized last year. Now, the statement came, of course, amid reports that the White House is preparing to approve the sale of 500 million U.S. dollars worth of weapons aid to Taiwan using the authority. And it also comes, as there's ongoing attempts by U.S. lawmakers to speed up the delivery of weapons systems to Taiwan. Taiwan, of course, has complained, although I think my use of the word complained might be a bit strong there, of delays to weapons deliveries. Sean, so we've got Lloyd Austin saying there's going to be more moves to defend Taiwan, more moves to send weapons systems to Taiwan. Well, for one thing, I don't think they can speed up. Um, they physically can't. It's the US uh, defence industry, they're, they're the um, defence um those defense companies and contractors, they, it's proven that they are logistically they're um, incapable of expanding, speeding up their production, especially after Ukraine, because the industrial bases, the the technicians, the engineers, the people that needed to make these weapons, munitions, uh, ships, aircraft, I'm sorry, they're just gone. The U.S. defense industry is a is a token of its former self. Even comparing to, that's not even compared to World War II. Let's, let's just talk about twenty, thirty years ago, because there is this um, horizontal integration of the U.S. Um, defense industries uh, following the end of Cold War, and in the last twenty years, they have done that that have been disastrous for the United States, because now they are paying many times more expensive um, price tag on things that, 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 that were being made in many times greater quantity during the Cold War. 
And now they then and it's not just Taiwan, but even the United States paying the price for it. So to the people um, seeing these weapons, the, the javelin, the singer, and then they think they're doing marvelous job in Ukraine, which they were. But you only have this limited stock; they're running out, and there's just no way that the United States can bring that production back. And so the this announcement saying that they are providing. 500 million, I believe, uh, 500 million arms assistance to Taiwan out of several billion, if not tens of billions of items that Taiwan already purchased and paid for and they have not been delivered. The thing is, this is just, this just means little, if anything. Um, it's not a nice, so within Taiwan, of course, there's this, always this, the, the question as well. People who question U.S. commitment to Taiwan, they say, why, why, why are we not getting this weapon that we pay, we pay for? Well, I'm telling you that it's not that the United States doesn't give that to Taiwan, doesn't prioritize Taiwan. It's that they physically can't. I'm sorry. The United States industry is not capable of helping Taiwan in the extent that you think that it can. Um, it just can't. Um, so people might, might, might as well wake up and see if if they want to do something about it. Stop talking about the United States. It's a question of well that as soon as some 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 hardcore anti-China president in, in the U.S. come up and then he or she could do magic and Taiwan and give everything to Taiwan. And then, no, he can't. The U.S.-China military uh, strategic military competition. I'm sorry, the China may very well have won. You look at the the prices, the quantity that the China making China is making these weapons. They are ten times, ten times, twenty times, fifty times cheaper than the comparable U.S. Um, stuff, and they can deliver. United States can't. Paul made a really good point when he said, uh, you know, "Should people in Taiwan, you know, stop talking and do something about it?" And one answer is more indigenous defense production and. Uh, you know, I'm sure somebody from the government, if they were sitting here with us, they would say, we're doing that. Uh, well, yes, oh, a no, little no. bit, sort of. But some of the things that uh, we've we've touched on in this conversation, um, missiles, for example, well, Taiwan does have an inventory of, of domestically produced missiles, which uh, you know, hopefully could do the trick if they had to be used in combat. Uh, you know, it, it is something that Taiwan has worked on for many years and perfected and has made uh, improvements and they're now on the next generation or the next next generation. Uh, but, but then you, you say, well, how many do you produce a month? And they tell you like this really small number. You say, well, why aren't you producing more? And uh, there, there's a huge cost to do that, right? Uh, if you need to train more engineers and, and scientists and you need to pay them well, you need to pay them wages competitive with private industry, and you need to subsidize the production. Uh, that that costs a lot of money, and I I frankly don't care what somebody from the government might say. Oh, but this is how much more we've put into into indigenous defense production. Uh, but but are are you spending enough? And I think we could all agree that the answer is is no. And plus, they're going off on you know other kinds of adventures that take take some of the money from the overall defense budget uh, pie like like uh, uh, you know an indigenous fighter trainer um, some people might even say the indigenous submarine is questionable but but, uh, but but for things that Taiwan 
might really need in wartime, whether that's mines or, or, or uh, surface air or air to air missiles that can be produced in, indigenously, and, and Taiwan does have experience, uh, we, we really should be ramping up production on some of those things. And instead, we're, we're, we're spreading money very far uh, to, to different things. And we're still relying on the U.S. for certain uh, weapons, and now we're almost going around in circles because the threat level keeps keeps increasing, as Paul you know, described, with China's own ability to produce weapons. And, of course, Ross, this week also Legislative Speaker Yoshi Kun has been in Washington, D.C., where he spoke with the U.S. House Foreign Affairs Committee Chairman Michael McCall. And apparently McCall told him that, well, but along with lawmakers in the U.S. trying to take action to speed up arms sales to Taiwan, there's also hopes that of third-party sales, whereby, according to McCall, the U.S. government will allow other countries that have the same weapon systems to provide said weapon systems to Taiwan. Uh, I don't know why he would have that conversation with Yossi Kun. I mean, Yossi Kun is going to be out of a job uh, come next January. So this is just, as we call it in Mandarin, the, the, the graduation trip, right? The graduation tour. Uh, so why, I would say watch this space because he'll probably do as much international travel as, as he can in the next six months to use up that budget. Uh, he, he, look, he, he's just not a key guy on, on defense issues. Uh, so uh, having that conversation with him is... I don't know why. I just don't know why why uh, our, our esteemed member of Congress, uh, speaking as an American, is, is having that conversation with, with Yossi Kun. And uh, more to the point, um, uh, call me when it really happens. Right? L- let me know when, when another country is, is really serious and really is going to make available weapons to Taiwan. I mean, all we've seen recently is you know, we have some technology transfer uh, from certain countries, it's sometimes in the news, um, but uh, we just haven't seen third countries other than the U.S. willing to sell these kinds of systems to Taiwan, whether that's a missile system or an artillery system or a, a, a missile defense system, something similar to, to the U.S. Patriots, uh, even small arms I and mean, we just don't see other countries willing to take that that political risk of, of the the anger from china and paul do you see other third countries helping taiwan procure weapon systems well i think if taiwan tried it could it very well could happen it's just that the government um the ministry of national defense so th- this again this is one of those more among the more insider knowledge Guess what? It's actually the Ministry of National Defense that really doesn't want weapons and stuff outside of the United States. Within that circle, the U.S., if they buy anything, they want a U.S. weapon because they think the, U- the, 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 the American weapons are better um, and like more fancier. So when, 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 whenever the discussion comes, comes up that maybe we should try to buy this and that from, to see if we can buy that and so elsewhere. No. Institutionally, the, the bureaucracy, the generals, the, the, the chief of staff, they usually told you no, no, because we want the good stuff. We want the American stuff. So this is so like my long-going criticism of Taiwan's military and defense policy. It is another proof that there's really no science, there's really no rational policy making behind Taiwan's force planning, Taiwan's arms procurement. It's all 
politics and internal institutional um, uh, rivalry within the military, factional interests that's been going on. There's no scientific, there's no rational planning going on there. What weapon they buy, what forces they build, no. It was in the news recently that Taiwan might procure... uh I believe it was armored vehicles from the Czech Republic. I have a feeling Paul's going to say there's no science or rational thinking behind that other than it would allow the Taiwan government to say, oh, finally, uh, you see, a, a third country is willing to sell us something. But uh, I, again, I, 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 I'm assuming Paul would say there's no science or ra- ra- rational reason to buy armored vehicles from, from the Czech Republic. <laughs> And before we go this week, former NBA player and current Taoyuan Leopards T1 League player Dwight Howard opened a big old can of worms after appearing in a promotional video alongside Vice President Lai Ching De. Now, the video was promoting the Spend a Night at the Taiwan Presidential Office Building campaign, which invites foreign travellers to win a chance to spend the night at, well, the Presidential Office. Now, Howard opens the video, the beginning of which goes thus. Okay, here we go, right? Oh! Hello everyone, I'm Dwight Howard, and since I came to Taiwan, I've gained a whole new appreciation of this country. This place makes me feel so much love, and I experience so much hospitality with friendly and great living environment with such a great diverse culture. Now, Needless to say, it wasn't Howard's comments about Taiwan being a friendly and great living environment with such great diverse culture that sent Chinese social media into a tizzy fit. Rather, it was the two words, this country, that led to Chinese social media erupting with angry vibes, accusing Howard of supporting Taiwan independence. Howard replied to the iry Chinese feelings, though, saying, where I'm from, if I say I want to go to the country, it does not mean the place is a country, it's just how we talk. And he went on to say that if he offended anyone in China, China, I apologise. It was not my intention to harm anyone with what I said in this commercial. I am not a politician. I don't want to get involved in any politics. I have the utmost respect for Chinese people and utmost respect for Taiwanese people, so it was never my intent to disrespect nobody. The apology to China just continues the pattern of uh, companies or individuals who have uh, financial interest in, in China. Uh, you know, the famous example from the basketball world is is when the Houston Rockets executive tweeted his support for the protesters in Hong Kong in 2019, and then the NBA apologized. It's a pattern uh, of, of apologizing to, to China uh, when the consumers or the state media in China get offended by something that was said uh, that that alludes to either Taiwan's independence or uh, is perceived as being anti-government or offensive to Chinese culture. There's a list of reasons. Uh, Be that as it may, my view is the moment he apologized to China and basically said, well, I didn't really mean that, then the government here should remove the video and stop promoting him as a spokesperson because he's now apologized uh, to to China for calling Taiwan a country. So I, I think it's it's odd to continue to have Howard as a, a spokesperson for, for this uh, the, you know, stay at the presidential office uh, tourism, um, I don't know what to call it. Thing. Thing. I mean, it's it's silly anyway. It, it, they've been doing it for a few years anyway. Um, and uh, so so I think the Taiwan government should say, okay, Mr. Howard, if you want to apologize to China, then you know we're going to take the video down because we don't think you're an appropriate spokesperson. But, but there's one more point I'd like to make. And let's be a abundantly clear about something the only reason 
Howard makes a lot of social media uh, content videos saying how much he loves Taiwan, he loves the food, he loves being here. The only reason he does that is because he gets a paycheck from a basketball team here, okay? that That is it, full stop. He's here to make money. Well, I think Ross is right that um, it's probably what they should have done. Um, considering that the comparable figure on this subject would be this, I believe his name is... Uh, Ennis Frieden, or Ennis, uh, this former NBA, also former NBA player, that's now went for anti-China. Um, but of course, that that's why he believes that I respect that. And also, he's not, but, but funny that he's not getting as much money from Taiwan as uh, Dwayne Howard today. Uh, he's also trying to get get to get to 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 to, to uh, play it again, but. No Taiwan team has picked him up yet, uh, <laughs> but he, the the, the person uh, in in this reason, I think he actually believes what he said because he's he's a family background. He's um um and he's he's his idea that uh, the 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 distaste of China's persecution of Uyghurs in Xinjiang. I think that that he actually believed that. Which is, I think that that. They deserve some respect. That there's someone who actually stand up for what you believe. Dwayne Howard, you know, on the other hand, I think Ross is right. Just for for money. Um, um, what happened? If one day Taiwan's team stop paying him, then he's he will have no reason to stay in Taiwan. He he might as well go. He he might very well start picking up um, work in China, and that is why he said the thing that he's saying today. That he apologized for what he said. Maybe, Ross, the government should be more careful when it picks these people and make sure they actually agree with the words they have to say in the script before they read the script on video. Well, certainly, Ed, uh, uh, looking at this from a more commercial perspective than, than just the political side, uh, th- this dispute, uh, for lack of a better description, uh, it's also the fault of the people around Dwight Howard, whether the team or his own personal advisors, his his agent, his business manager, uh, who's ever handling his his endorsement activity. Uh, they you know, they should have uh, looked at it thoroughly and and, and coached him uh, for for what to say uh, or what to avoid saying, so that this kind of situation wouldn't arise. And. and you could do it in a way that you know you don't have to sell your own personal values per se. I mean, you could just simply say like, "Come to Taiwan; it's a great place to visit." Right. Uh, so, part of the fault on this is it's not entirely the government's fault. I don't think the government was trying to fool him into endorsing Taiwan's independence. They just wanted to sell this silly stay at the presidential office program. Uh, so, again, part of it's the fault of the people around Howard. Um, uh, but, but again, I, I think. Given that he's apologized to to China and basically said, I didn't really mean to say that. Now it looks silly for Taiwan to continue and the government, I mean, the presidential office to continue to to use him as a spokesperson. You know, this, in a way, this this is kind of like a, a rerun of the now infamous press release between the Taiwan government and uh, BNT <laughs> over the vaccine, where uh, you know there was this dispute about how to describe Taiwan in the press release, and the government says, uh, this is why we were not able to uh, procure the vaccines in, in, in the first few months of 2021, because uh, you know, China, uh, China objected to the wording you know, via 
via BNT uh, over how to describe Taiwan. But I guess we'll leave Terry go and the cynics to thrash that out during the presidential campaign <laughs> to come. And that's where we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Ross Feingold. Have a great weekend. And by Paul Huang. Have a good weekend. There we and thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.